Please grab your Bibles and open to Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we will read from verse 1 through the end of the chapter, so the entirety of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians. This is what the Apostle Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who deliver us delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, I invite you to keep open your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. First, uh, here in these first, verse 2 and verse 3, Paul we see that Paul writes along with Silas and Timothy to express how they think and feel about the church in Thessalonica. Um, and again, we read this, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how Paul and Silas and Timothy thought about this group of believers there in Thessalonica. And these two verses also reveal how we as elders here at Grace Hill Church think about you and feel about you. We are thankful to God for you. Um, We remember you constantly in prayer. Um, We are committed to praying for you, each of you. Um, And why is that? Well, it's because we see the evidence of God's work in your lives. We, We see that through your work of faith. We see that through your labor of love. We see that in your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are convinced as elders that God is doing a good work in you, and we could spend more time talking about that and developing that this morning, but 
Today, what I'd like to do is turn your attention primarily to verses 4 through 10 of chapter 1. And I, I want to turn here because in these verses, we find the story behind the story. We, we learn here in verses 4 through 10 why we thank God for your faith, your love, and your hope. Now, as a backdrop, the context of this letter that Paul writes along with uh, Silas and Timothy, Acts chapter 16 and 17 tell the story of how God brought the gospel to the Thessalonians. And he did that through the Apostle Paul. Paul preached the gospel in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths in a row, and there were some Jews who believed. There was also many Gentiles that believed, including a large number of women. And certainly that is good news, but the Jews there became jealous and formed a mob to stir up trouble against Paul. It, it was so bad that Paul was forced to leave quickly after only being there for about three weeks. And Paul went to Berea, uh, a neighboring city. He continued to preach the gospel there. And when many with noble hearts there received the gospel, the Jews the jealous Jews from Thessalonica came there, too, to stir up trouble against Paul. The point that I want you to see is this. This group of young believers in Thessalonica, this group that's being addressed here in this letter written by Paul and Silas and Timothy, this group, young group of believers in Thessalonica were surrounded by an aggressive group of Jews who had strongly opposed the gospel. You, you can imagine why Paul longed to hear how they were really doing. Uh, he, he had great joy because what God had done in their lives, uh, a new church was started, but they were also facing some severe opposition. So Paul's wondering, would they survive? How are they doing? Would they persevere in the faith? And Paul writes this letter after he sent Timothy there for a visit. Now, Timothy's returned with a good report, that, but yet they need some encouragement. Their hope needs to grow more and more, and their pursuit of holy living and brotherly love needs to grow more and more. It's there, but it needs to grow. And it, it will, the more that they realize that it was God who started a good work in them, and it will be God who completes that good work in them. But they are off to a good start. Verse 1 refers to them as the church of the Thessalonians, rooted and living in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as I read earlier, verses 2 and 3, Paul says he's always thankful, thankful to God for all of them, constantly Men mentioning and remembering them before God for their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. So we see Paul using this triad of faith, hope, and love as a fruit uh, of someone that is alive in Christ, and he commends churches for that on a number of different occasions. And again, this is why we as the elders of Grace Hill 
are thankful to God for you. But there's more here in this text. And as we continue in verse 4, we learn more why Paul was always thankful to God for these Thessalonians. Uh, verse 4 begins by saying, For we know, brothers, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So as you understand this verse in its context, context, here's what God wants to say to you. When you, the church, face afflictions, the church 2,000 years ago faced afflictions, the church today still faces trials and afflictions. But when you as a church face afflictions, be encouraged by what we know. The we of verse 4 is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were the ones who preached the gospel first in Thessalonica. And what they knew then is what present-day disciple-makers know now about those they disciple. Uh, and, and here's what they know. When, when you share the gospel with unbelievers and you see them come to a place of understanding and you see them repent and believe the gospel, and you see their lives begin to change. There, there are a couple of things that you know and you can say about them. And the first is this, that you are loved by God. Now, certainly in a general way, we can affirm that the gospel is a demonstration of God's love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We can also affirm that God's love is not based on our merit. In other words, God's, God does not love us because we are lovable and good. Uh, Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Sometimes it's good to be reminded how, how bad really was our sin. Well, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says we were dead in our sins. We were unable and we were unwilling to respond to God in faith and obedience. We followed the evil one and we willingly followed our own sinful desires and passions. We, we in fact, deserved God's just wrath. We were objects of God's wrath. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And then you come to verse 4 and you see one of the greatest contrasting conjunctions in all of the Bible, I think. Verses, verses 4 through 6. Verse 4 begins just by saying, but God. So we were dead in our sins. We deserved God's wrath. We were objects of wrath. And then in verse 4, it begins by saying, but God. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. <laughs> so the question is, why does... God bring to life a dead sinner? Well, it's because he loved him. But who is the dead sinner that God has brought to life? It's the one that he chose to love. 
Uh, back in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, we learn you are loved by God. And secondly, you are chosen by God. Um, the text goes on, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. This is a glorious truth. But what does it mean to be chosen by God? Well, simply put, God chose some from many for himself or for his own purposes to reveal his own glory. Why, why did God choose us? There really is no other reason than God simply chose to love us. This, in fact, is what God teaches us through the Apostle Paul. Um, notice, as I quote, just a couple of verses that connect God's love with God's election. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as a firstfruits to be saved. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I quote, But blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. We, we also see God's election all the way through the Bible in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This same Greek word that we find in verse 4, is used when we're told in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7, that God chose Abraham. In Psalm 106, verse 23, we're told that God chose Moses. Psalm 78, verse 70, states that God chose David. Also in the Old Testament, we learn that God chose the nation of Israel from among many nations for Himself, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this concept of God choosing continues. Even in Isaiah 42.1, prophesies about the coming Messiah being uh, by saying this, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. In Luke chapter 9, verse 35, during the time when Peter, James, and John witnessed the, the dazzling glory of Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration, there was a voice from heaven that was heard saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So in, in the Gospels, we 
read about Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. From, from many, he chose the 12. Saul was chosen by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And if you remember, Saul was on the way to Damascus to kill Christians. Saul was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians when God called him out. God chose him to be an object of his mercy and to send him as a redeemed person to the Gentiles with the gospel of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify, nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I love how John Stott has said he chooses us because he loves us, and he loves us because he loves us. <laughs> he does not love us because we're lovable, but because he is love. So in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul Paul writes this to encourage these young believers in their affliction. So think about it. Because they are loved and chosen by God, they are now brothers and sisters with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, uh, and Silas and Timothy in the family of God. They have a heavenly father. They are now God's children in the family of God. And as verse 5 continues, Paul says, we know this because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction or full assurance. So again, Paul isn't just teaching a theology lesson here. Paul wants to encourage these believers who are facing affliction with the reality that they have hope because God has chosen them and God has chosen them because he loves them. And the evidence of that is that the gospel came to them with power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction or full assurance. So we know that the gospel is proclaimed in words. It's the word of the Lord or the word of the gospel. And in verse 5, Paul says, our gospel, which means the good news of Jesus that Paul preached. Uh, the Thessalonians were loved by God and chosen by God, but that became evident through the means of Paul's preaching the gospel. That, that preaching of the gospel included words, words that were spoken and proclaimed. So the gospel has to be made known, but those words, those words that were spoken and proclaimed would be utter foolishness 
to those who heard them if it were not for the person of the Holy Spirit at work in conjunction with the preaching of those words. And it was the Holy Spirit's power at work in the lives of those Thessalonians that brought full conviction or full assurance. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled the Thessalonians to be fully convinced of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why they repented and believed. So the effectiveness of Paul was not due to eloquent or persuasive words. He said that he's not that guy who speaks in an eloquent way. Instead, the effectiveness of Paul is attributed to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Paul would have been enabled by the Spirit to preach, but and that certainly would have been needed as Paul faced a lot of opposition, but here in, in Thessalonica... Verse 5 says, the gospel came to them with power and conviction of the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit was at work in the Thessalonians, which is why they repented and believed. Again, this was their response because of the initiative God took first to love them and to choose them. And for this, Paul thanked God. But he wanted them to know this. And this undoubtedly would have encouraged them. Um, just yesterday, and Tim prayed for him, but just yesterday I, I had a delightful conversation with David Bateman, who is in ICU down in Waukesha. Um, he's going through a very severe trial at the moment. Um, his lungs are not functioning well. Um, and we talked about that. But what he wanted to talk about, even in that state, what he wanted to talk about was what he's learning as he reads through the Gospel of John. And it just blessed my heart to hear him articulate. He, he, he just made the comment, he said, you know, I was reading in John's Gospel, and I, I noticed how Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he said, you know, as I reflect back over my life, he got, God saved him later in life. And he says, as I reflect back over my life, I, I see now more clearly that God was at work in my life for many years, even before I knew it. That God was at work drawing my heart, preparing my heart, bringing me to himself. And he said, for many years, I had no clue of the work that God was doing. But God brought him to the place where he heard the gospel, and the Spirit enabled him to respond in repentance and faith. And today, he finds great joy and delight when he thinks about, as he is laying in that hospital bed there in the ICU, what his mind goes to is the fact that God has begun this good work in him. And as he thinks about the days ahead, what gives him hope is that God, who started this work, is going to complete this work. In him, and he was comforted by the work that God did in the midst of his affliction. No, knowing that God has loved you and chosen you should also encourage you and help you persevere in affliction. That's why Paul was writing this letter. That's why he wanted to encourage these dear saints. They were facing difficult times, but he said, Remember, God's love, God loves you, God has chosen you. 
And we're going to see next as, as we look at the remainder of this letter that God has also promised to complete that work in you. So our, our second main point this morning is that as the church faces affliction, you can be encouraged by what you know. So undoubtedly, those who oppose Paul and the gospel that he preached tried to fill the minds of the Thessalonians with all sorts of things about Paul that just were not true. Um, if they couldn't discredit the gospel message, they would go after the messenger. And so Paul reminds them in the latter half of verse 5, you know our example to you. Verse 5 says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So what, what Paul was referencing there is the fact that he willingly endured great suffering, and he did that joyfully so that those who did not hear the gospel, have never heard the gospel, would in fact hear the gospel. Paul took great risks for this uh, body of believers there in Thessalonica. Paul wasn't greedy for money. Paul was not interested in building his own little kingdom. More than anything else, Paul wanted to be faithful to do what Jesus had commanded him to do for the good of others and for the glory of God. And that was to make Christ known, to proclaim the gospel to people who had not heard. So they, they knew that, but Paul needed to remind them. In fact, in verse 6, Paul says, you followed our example and the Lord's example, receiving the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us that. Paul again and again, following the example of Jesus, considered suffering a small thing compared to the joy of spreading the gospel, gospel to those who had not yet heard. And when we talk about the kind of suffering that Jesus endured, we may be very familiar with the way he was rejected by his own people and ultimately crucified. But Paul again and again was on run. Paul was in prison. Paul was uh, beaten. He was falsely accused. And he endured all of that suffering with joy because his eyes were fixed on Jesus, and he saw in Jesus the example of one who endured suffering, looking to his Father, keeping his eyes fixed on his Father, endured that suffering for the sake of others and for the glory of God's great name. So, here in this text, Paul reminds them of the example that he set for, before them, um, following the example that Christ set. So we can't discount the value of a real-life flesh-and-blood example of one who is following the example of Jesus. Words are absolutely necessary in the proclamation of the gospel, but don't discount for a moment the importance of the integrity and the life of the messenger. And that's one of the primary things as we think about the the ministry that Dave Dernlund led in Romania and Ukraine and Moldova and other places, the model of the Tri-M module where there, there is technology today where you can do all of this training online, remotely, but David was convinced, and the Tri-M model was convinced to having 
in-person instruction, face-to-face, relationships built, living in the homes with people, eating meals together with people. So teaching them, but living with them. And that kind of life on life was very important. That's why the incarnation was important. Jesus came to this earth. He didn't operate remotely. He came to this earth and he lived among us and suffered for us. And he set that example that Paul understood and what Paul communicated to these Thessalonian believers. And in fact, you see that how the example of Jesus and Paul and then the Thessalonians, through that, Paul says, your faith in God became an example to others. He says that of the, this group of believers in Thessalonica. Look at verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this, the, the conversion of the Thessalonians became an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. But not just there, their faith in God has gone forth everywhere throughout the entire Roman Empire, so much so that Paul doesn't have to say anything. So the story of Paul preaching the gospel in Thessalonica and their reception of that message was retold again and again. But what was it that people were saying? Well, they were saying three things. One, you turned to God from idols. So they heard the gospel and they repented of their idolatry. Um, In that day, they would go to the uh, idolatrous temples. Uh, Today, In our particular culture, we don't necessarily go to an idolatrous temple, but we can can worship our idols in work or in money and success or education or even family, leisure, comfort. There can be many things, many good things that can become idols to us. Anything, anything good can become an idol when it becomes more important to us than the, the greatest good, which is Jesus himself. So their testimony was that they turned from idols to the true and living God. And now they worship, they serve the the living and true God. And that's really what the Spirit produces in the hearts of those whom God saves, uh, where you want to live for the true God as he is revealed through the person of Jesus. You want to worship and fellowship with God's people. You are hungry to grow in your relationship with God. You want to use your life and talents and gifts to make the name of Jesus known and adored. So that's the testimony. That's the fruit of the gospel at work where you 
You repent of idolatry. You make God more important than anything else. You worship the true and living God. And in fact, number three, you wait for, you eagerly wait for, you anticipate His Son coming from heaven. Um, Jesus, whom He raised from the dead. Jesus, who will come and rescue us from the wrath to come. But notice, notice why Paul can give them reassurance and encouragement. It's because they received the gospel. Their lives were dramatically changed. They turned from idols. They served the true and living God. They were eagerly waiting for Jesus' coming. They spread the gospel to others. There was evidences of them being alive in Christ. I would suggest we we must be cautious about giving assurance of faith just because someone prayed the sinner's prayer. Are there evidences of someone being alive in Jesus? Like faith, love, and hope that we see in verse 3. Like turning from idols to the true and living God that we see in verses uh, 6 and following. Like worshiping the true and living God. Like looking forward with eagerness to Jesus coming again. If if there is new life that Jesus gives, it will be evident for people to see. And then it's fitting to encourage people, um, which is what I want to do to you this morning. What we desire for you to be encouraged in the Lord. Sometimes it's easy even for believers to get discouraged and we need to be reminded of things we know to be true but we need to hear them again god loves you god has chosen you god has sent jesus to provide a way for you to be restored to a right relationship with with you so sometimes believers need to be encouraged sometimes believers need to be not just encouraged but exhorted sometimes believers can really get off the beaten path, and they can, they can wander and stray. Sheep, the description that the Bible gives of sheep is not always favorable. Sheep can be stubborn. Sheep can be determined to go their own way carelessly. And sometimes encouragement isn't strong enough. Sometimes believers need some exhortation to get back to the point where they're focused first and foremost upon Christ. And all of that is needed because afflictions and trials and facing opposition can come in various forms. And that can be a huge problem. But for the one that is loved by God, the one that is chosen by God, the one that is saved by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit through faith in the glorious gospel, there is great help and hope. So what God started in you, he will finish in you. So so much so that Paul ends this letter that he wrote to the church there in Thessalonica by saying this in chapter 5 verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's a Bold statement. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
I, I say that's a bold statement because when I look at my own life, I see stubbornness in my own life. I see remaining sin in my own life. I see old patterns that I'm not even aware of that the Holy Spirit graciously reveals to me. It's like, there's a lot of work to do in me. There's a lot of work to do in us. And yet, there's great joy and confidence that comes because of this promise. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the letter begins by reminding them they're loved by God. God's chosen them. God saved them. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit that did that. And this letter concludes by reminding them of a wonderful promise that God is going to finish that work that He has started in them. And if you question whether or not God is going to finish that work, look at verse 24. It says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So where does your confidence lie as you think about the days ahead, individually and for our church? Uh, does your confidence lie in your own ability to figure everything out and stay on the, the, the right path? Or does your confidence really lie in the fact that God has started a good work in you and God is committed to finishing that good work in you so that on that day when Jesus comes again, we'll be found in him. Um, and what a great day that will be. So be, be encouraged, look to Jesus, keep looking to Jesus, put your confidence in him as we think about the days and weeks ahead. Let's pray together. Father, as we read through your word as we study your word as we listen to your word it indeed humbles us to think about how frail we really are it humbles us to be reminded of what we once were but father we're also encouraged because even though we were once dead in our sins you chose to love us in your great mercy you chose to love us with a great love through the life that you have given to us in jesus jesus who died for us who was raised again to life so that through repentance and faith in the gospel a, a, a repentance and a faith that's enabled by your holy spirit Father, you promise us eternal life. Father, today we just want to confess, we want to thank you for this good work that you have started in us. And Father, we want to confess and also thank you for this bold promise that you will sanctify us completely and you will keep our whole spirit and soul and body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I'm thankful that you tell us so clearly that you who have called us will do it because you are faithful. So Father, help us to be a people who humbly look to Jesus, have 
no confidence in our own abilities, but to put all of our hope and our trust and our confidence in You, who have started a good work in us and will complete that good work. And Father, I, I pray that that truth will be an encouragement to each of us individually, but I, I pray that that truth will be an encouragement to us as a church as we think about the days ahead. That, Lord, we'll look to you together and it will follow you together as you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we want to just thank you. Thank you for the way that you will work. And we know that you will work because you are faithful. We praise you and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.